This Women's Agenda podcast series, The Leadership Lessons, is supported by Salesforce. Achieving true diversity and inclusion in Australia's top organisations is predicated on leaders engaging in meaningful ways and never approaching the pursuit as a box-ticking exercise. I'm Kate Mills, the host of Women's Agenda's new podcast series, The Leadership Lessons, supported by Salesforce. In this episode, I'm joined by dynamic business leader Pip Marlowe. Throughout a long career at the helm of some of Australia's biggest organisations, Pip has never wavered in her pursuit to put people first. Here, she sheds light on her journey and her next steps as the ANZ leader of progressive tech juggernaut, Salesforce. Now, Pip, you've had an absolutely incredible career. You're currently the CEO of Salesforce. Uh, you were previously at Suncorp and the MD at Microsoft Australia. So just talk me through your career and how you got started. Oh, I'm going to have to take us back in time. So uh, I'll try not to put you to sleep during that. Um, I'm a Kiwi by birth. I'm uh, one of five uh, children, which taught me early on to be quite competitive. I say I've been fighting over food at the table since I was in, early, uh, in my early years. So that gave me definitely a sense of competition and ambition. From there, I moved to Australia and I, I do believe we live in a lucky country. I, I love it here. It's it's an incredible uh, honour to be able to live in a country like this. It's um, fantastic. I fell into IT by chance, but I stayed in it by choice. I started out in a, you know, a small um, IT company when I moved over here. Um, and you know, I'd never imagined myself in technology, to be honest. It wasn't you know something that I thought I was going to do. I I really thought I was going to be in uh, you know, hospitality or travel or um, media. Those are the industries that really um, interested me. But uh, as soon as I had a taste of technology, I loved it. Um, I went on from the small business to work for Samsung. Um, I had to tell you in those days I was selling you monitors and your choices were amber and green. Pretty exciting stuff. Um, and then I left there after a couple of years and I went to work at Microsoft and probably it was quite a defining career choice for me it was the year was 1995. We were launching Windows 95. The theme song was, uh, start me up and, um, everything was just, you know, going insane in the world of technology because it was the era where uh, tech was taken to, you know, the everyday person. Historically, it was somebody who was, you know, working with mainframes and you needed deep coding. But the change in the user interface really democratized, you know, technology and made it more accessible. So it's a really exciting time to be in tech. Spent 21 years at Microsoft, including eight of those in the US. Um, when I left Microsoft, I thought I was breaking up with a really good boyfriend. I remember saying, it's not you, it's me, because um, I really felt after 21 years I wanted to spread my wings. And I, I wanted to go work in an ASX organization. So I jumped ship and worked for Suncorp, a top 20 Australian company, so large insurer, small bank. I uh, learned a lot about uh, working in an ASX-listed company, working in financial services, um, living and dreaming and, and being all of the things that I had sold to, so implementing you know, projects. It was just incredible time. Um, and then um, after just short of three years um, in that role, I had the opportunity to come and lead a sales force in Australia and New Zealand. And, um, you know, after some exploratory work and, and conversations with Benioff, our founder, and a few other people, I thought, you know what, I miss tech. I miss the pace, the innovation. And so I joined here about 14 months ago. So uh, it's been an incredible ride, I have to say. 
Look, there's a few things in there I want to explore. So first is, you, you said there, I never imagined working in technology. I think you said I thought it'd be in hospitality or travel. Do you think that's a quite a common female perspective? Do you think, you know, do you know what I mean? Do you think that's because you were female, that you just didn't imagine that technology would be a career for you? Yeah, look, I'm, I'm going to tell you a short story. I remember being at high school when we got computers, just, you know, we opened up a really small room with computers and I remember going, oh, I'm not going to use computers. That's for nerds. Meanwhile, I was taking a class in typing. And so, yeah, and I, I remember the people who predominantly signed up for that course. I think 99% of the people who signed up were, were men. And so, yeah, I think there is stereotypes and but versus the world, you know, of media and those other industries were filled with people like me, so to speak. And so that saying, you know, you can't be what you can't see is an interesting one. And, and I, I, I say something different now. I say it's harder to be what you can't see, but it's not impossible. One thing I think, I mean, you've got a really interesting career, but one of the things I, I, I was thinking about is, is you work, you're currently working for one of the best known multinationals in the world. And then you worked for Microsoft, again, you know, probably one of the best known companies in the world. And then obviously you've worked for smaller domestic companies and also uh, for Suncorp. Is there a difference between how multinationals do things and how domestic organizations, you know, more, more ASX or, you know, mid-tier organizations in Australia do things? Are there things we can learn from multinationals and vice versa? When you work for a Microsoft or a Salesforce, a multinational in a subsidiary, you're not head office, you benefit a lot from having the roles at head office around strategy and product, et cetera. And, and it's a different type of execution in the local market. When you're running an ASX company, you know, one of the challenges that I had when I moved to Suncorp that I had to adjust myself about is after like, I don't know, three or four months in, I was frustrated that I hadn't made more impact. And I had to have a good look in, in the mirror and say, what am I not doing? What, what's not working? You know, what can I change? And I sort of realized that in some ways I was waiting for head office. I'd worked at Microsoft for 21 years and that environment had taught me and conditioned me to having a head office. I was head office. Nobody else is coming, you know, with the kickstart of this. It was me. And I had to retrain my brain to think differently and act differently because that didn't exist. And, and that was a really important, you know, learning that I had, you know, to go through from that multinational and a subsidiary to being on the leadership team of an ASX 20. So true, true, Pip. That moment where we realise that no one is going to come to save us comes to all of us at some point. <laughs> like I said, you've had a really, you know, fantastic career. But I did note when I was doing my research that in your career, you have spoken about what you call the worst day of your career and what you learned from it. So the worst day of your career, as I understand it, is when you missed out on the COO role at Microsoft. So can you tell us a little bit about that and what you learned from it? Uh, on reflection, probably not my worst day, to be honest, Kate. I, you know, my worst days are, you know, at G in the GFC and other times when we've had to, you know, let a lot of people go and you're impacting people's lives or when you've had a loss of, of somebody in the team's passed away. Those are the days that are they're the, really the, the worst days, you know. So um, I put that in context. What I would say about um, going for the role of COO was a little bit because I'd, I'd finally declared my ambition really to one day be the managing director for Microsoft in Australia. And I believed, you know, that getting the COO role was going to be linchpin and, and helping prepare me to be a great candidate for that role. And so when I didn't get it, I was, you know, pretty like, oh, you know, I had the, you know, the air knocked out of me. But it was a good lesson in resilience. You know, there's always more than one pathway in your career. There's always more than one option. So don't don't get caught up on thinking this is the only path you can take. 
There's one thing you said there that just intrigued me. You talked about the, the decision to go for the COO role was because you decided to declare your ambition. One day you're going to be a leader. Was there something specific that happened? Like, what was it, if you like, that took you from going, oh, you know, I'm, I'm happy and, you know, mid-management to, you know what, I could run this show? One of the things I struggled with for a long time was how to articulate my ambition whilst not feeling that I wasn't being humble or I wasn't a team player. So I felt if I said to somebody, yes, my aspiration is to be the managing director of Microsoft or to one day be this global CEO of, you know, Salesforce, I thought if I said that, that that would mean I was arrogant and I really don't like arrogance. And so two things can be true at the same time. You can have an ambition, you can dream and, and aspire to do great things, and you can still be uh, have humility and still be a team player. Just took me a while to find a way and to hold both of those things at, at the same time. And, and that was my struggle because I'd had the aspiration before that, but I didn't feel comfortable sharing it in a way that was congruent with who I, who I was or who I am. And it is an interesting point because humility is a great trait, you know, and you want it in your leaders, but you're right. How do you hold the two together? Do you think, again, that is something that women are more likely to struggle with? Well, I think there's enough research that shows that the same behavior seen in a female is judged differently. One of my favorite case studies is the um, Howard Heidi case study, which basically uh, it's exactly the same name um, around a business case. And the only thing they change is the name of the CEO from Howard and one and Heidi to the other. And they give it to a group of males and females to talk about and assess Howard and Heidi. In general, you know, Howard is you know, strong, determined, tough, but fair, and you'd work for him. You know, Heidi is a bit selfish, bit mean-spirited, don't know if you trust her, blah, blah. So the only the only word that changed was their name, and the name was a representation of gender. And there's a number of research um, you know, experiments that, that show that, yeah, we are seen differently. You know, we are you know, expected to be at times more nurturing and more humble and a team player. And, and so I think that does create a sense of conflict in us when in some ways we've been conditioned to behave a certain way or judged for behaving a certain way. Those are receptors to our behaviours that train us over time. So yeah, I think there is an element of that that is more of a struggle for females. What is your style of leadership? I and mean, what do you think the characteristics are that have got you to where you are now? I'd like to say I'd, I'd lead with with what I'd call or what's referred to, you know, servant lead, leadership. Like, I'm, I mean, my job is here to help other people do their job. And my number one thing is to create the best possible environment for other people to do the best work of their life. You know, you can't do that if you're too worried about, you know, you doing stuff for you. So um, I think people um, and I would describe myself as a pretty authentic leader. And that means I've got more comfortable in that authenticity of being vulnerable, saying, I don't know, um, or I made a mistake. But when I say authenticity, I'd like to say authentic with good judgment. A lot of people talk to me about authenticity and they say, well, you know, this is just me. People have to just accept me for who I am. That's me being authentic. And I, I use the following analogy to say authentic with good judgment. I'm actually a really funny person, Kate. I mean, like I think I am. I've got a great sense of humor. I can, I can tell people. I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> but it is not always the right moment for that part of me to come out, okay? Certain times that's not, you know, the appropriate. It doesn't make me not authentic that I'm not shining a light and bringing out humour right now. It's good judgement, 
Okay, this is not the part of me that needs to be brought forward right now to help in this situation. I would say it's courageous. I believe in courage over comfort, which means, you know, I'll put a bold goal out there and and maybe we'll miss it. But yeah, I'm happy to take on the big bold goal. I'm happy to have, you know, try and talk about the the undiscussables. I'd rather bring those out and have us address them. So in general, pretty courageous. And um, I'd say, you know, I'm a team, I am, you know, part of the team, you know, we all have different roles in the team, but my leadership style is, is comes out best when I'm doing great work with um, other people. We are talking broadly, broadly about your leadership, but also really in the context of female leadership. And we talked a little bit earlier about diversity. Where do you think we are with diversity now? I mean, I sort of put it as in, there's a lot of ground that's been gained, but where do you think the next battles are that are to be fought? Look, and we have, we have come so far, haven't we? I mean, I think it is great. I, I, I'm in meetings now. I see more um, gender um, representation. I see people bringing their whole self to work. You know, I'm, I'm so proud of our LGBTIQ community. Uh, we are thinking more about accessibility when we're doing designing events. We're thinking about how do we help people hear of, you know, vision or hearing impairment. So diversity is coming through so much more and inclusive design of workplaces and experiences so diversity in all its um, forms can flourish that progress really is exceptional but it's still not good enough and I think right now we've got some concerning triggers around us that I think we need to be exceptionally thoughtful about. I think COVID is um, having an exceptionally bigger impact on females both from a you know our frontline workers of nurses and teachers and cleaners predominantly female. And so you know, the stress and demands on them and typically females are doing a higher share of unpaid work as well. So I think that you know, we have to make sure we are looking after people in those roles. Conversely, disrupted industries like travel, entertainment, hospitality are also disproportionately female uh, in those industries. And so if, as roles have been displaced, you've got a lot of females um, impacted in that space. And more recently, CEW did some research which showed the number of CEOs in our ASX 200 has gone back for the first you know, time in some time. So, you know what, I, whilst we have made progress, I am concerned right now around you know, this multifaceted crisis we're having, um, the impact on females as a part of it, and, and the lack still at an executive level of breaking through for um, you know women and equity and in the higher echelons of business. It's like I interviewed somebody once and he said uh, men have been the beneficiary of the biggest positive affirmation program in the history of the world. It's called the history of the world. You know, so, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so it's been a long time coming, essentially. One thing I wanted to pick up in terms of diversity, and I see at Salesforce, for example, you're working on your first reconciliation action plan. What are you and the organisation learning through that process? Yeah, we are in the process of doing our um, first wrap and we were really, we've been months into it, but it was also great to see a real focus on it the other month for um, NADOC week, which was great. And the, the sense of interest and engagement from our employees is exceptional. If you'd sort of ask people at the start, you know, do you want to get in, get us to a wrap? People were like, they didn't really know what it was. And if I'd asked people to vote on it, I don't know if I'd have got a yes. Not because people didn't want to, but it's just back to the fact where allyship's a really important element here. And of course, we, you know, you don't have a high representation of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Island people. So you actually have to vote for something for others. And I just think we're, we're still learning about the history about why we need to do that. But as we've gone through it with our staff, they have embraced it in 
incredibly. And I think the first thing we've learned is people want the education. There is a varied degree of understanding about the history, you know, why things have happened and what, what the opportunity to do and help is. And I think the other thing that we found through this process is people were anxious. People didn't know what word to use. People didn't know if they were going to be insulting somebody as part of it. They felt like they were walking on eggshells when they were talking about the history and because the fear of offending somebody had them hold back. So the educational uptake um, that we've seen is incredible because people want to be able to engage here and, they, and they, they've been nervous too. And so my advice for anybody considering it is just start with education, just bringing in some people to do some cultural competency work and, and education, and that is a fantastic first step. Because mm. I know that you have talked about wanting to create the best possible environment in terms of work and how much that drives you as a leader. Salesforce is regularly at the top of one of the, the best places to work list. What does it do that works? And what do you advise to other businesses if they want to get on that list, for example? There's no silver bullet, but I do think it starts a little bit in the design phase. And when you um, get interviewed to you know join the company, it's always a two-way thing. You should be making sure it's a good company in the right place for you to work. And then you know we're also looking for the best people to work for us. But when we interview, we're not just looking for your experiences and competencies. We, we have four core values as an organization, trust, customer success, innovation, and equality. And in the interview process, we explore those values, what they mean to you, how you live them. So we work very hard to attract and recruit people who are aligned to those values. And, and we're not going to be the best place to work for everyone. Yes, we can be the best place to work for some people. And part of our way of doing that is talking to people about how we see those values and, and making sure that you know, when we hire people and they, they hold the same, val- same values. And I think that is brings such strong foundation to build the rest on. So if you take an example, when um, the marriage equality debate was going on in Australia, we have 13 different employee groups. Our faith force team, which is, you know, people of faith, different faiths who you know, work together, we're also meeting with our outforce team, which is our LGBTIQ team. And we were having a dialogue between different employee groups around you know, what this debate meant, how we should show up as a company. We're bringing those groups together. And it was amazing, you know, the respectful dialogue and how we worked together to think about how as an organization we could talk about that. So I think bringing in people with those similar values, I think that's been a really important part of that, recruiting for that, and then focusing on what is that is most important, you know, to our people and, and providing that. So I love that we do things like if you're um, out on parental leave, we still give you superannuation. And, you know, as you would know, Kate, specifically for females, we generally retire with far less in our super than our male colleagues, partly because if we've offered in our career to have children or, or take that parental leave, you know, you don't, you don't get super. So we continue to pay you through that. We have spent money using data and analysis to understand if we have a gender pay gap and we've spent about $15 million closing that gender pay gap. And we try and focus on what I'd say wellness over perks. Yes, you know, there's food in the um, the kitchen and some fun stuff, but, you know, we do meditation. We've done um, so many things to help people through working through COVID or looking after your wellness, you know, not just fun perks. And I think people value all of those things that we help them, you know, bring their full self to work. We think about their wellness, their development and creating a place where they can work in alignment to their values. 
staying in the workplace, and, and I just want to explore a few things that you said there, you know, in terms of what is the role of business leaders with regards to larger social issues? And I say that, you know, with you having talked about the approach you took to same-sex marriage, bringing together two different groups and having that conversation. What is the role of business and business leaders in a fast-changing world where a lot of the changes are social changes and cultural changes? Yeah, look, I um, I speak to, you know, a number of friends who are CEOs, and I, I know people hold some really divergent views on this. So, you know, I will share mine. I mean, I think they're very aligned to actually um, Global CEO Mark. I mean, we believe that it is about stakeholders, not just shareholders. One of those stakeholders is our planet. Our planet's taking a breath right now. Our, you know, greenhouse gas emissions are as low as they've ever been since World War II. So how do we think about climate and building back in a way that is more sustainable as, as we evolve our work practices? How do we think about the law and regulation as it relates to giving everybody equal access to jobs, opportunities, pay, marriage? You know, that's a human issue. That's not just a, an issue for our LGBTIQ colleagues and friends. That's an issue that everybody should have access to those, those things. So, you know, I think companies have roles to play. And, and one of the reasons, you know, I joined here is when I was talking to Mark Benioff about the company, I said, tell me when you really had to stand up for your values and it was going to cost you money or business. And he talked about a particular state in the US that was going to introduce some legislation that took away rights from the LGBTIQ community. And he heard from his employees and he went to the governor of that state and said, if you pass that legislation, we will not do any more events in this state. We will not invest in it. And he went to the employees in that state and said, if this legislation passed, we will pay for you to relocate to another state where your rights are equal. Uh, and we will pay for you to move and we will give you a job in another location. That's putting your money behind your values. And that's you know, nothing to do with you know selling a product. In fact, because it could cost you sales, but you have to be prepared you know, if you're going to live your values, you have to be able to stand up for them. And sometimes that means you, you'll walk away from revenue for them. And so that's a moment of leadership. And I think you know, leaders in business today have got to say which values, which issues, because you, you can't be, you know, something on every issue. I think it's got to be aligned to your business and your people. Other than what I'd call like right to play issues, like pay equity. Those are just, you know, those are you know, no brainers. But some, some companies might want to take a stronger stand around modern slavery, given their own manufacturing or, you know, where they can make a bit, a bigger impact. Um, I think organizations are making more of a shift in this. And I think employees, our research says employees are demanding and expecting businesses, you know, to make a bigger impact on planet and on the community that we operate in. Pip. This has been a tough year with COVID. What are you keeping from what you've learned this year? Yeah, so I hadn't been at the company very long when COVID hit, to be honest. So I was maybe like five months in, I was trying to build relationships, trying to get to know the company, the customers. And suddenly, you know, like all of us, our world changed almost overnight. Um, my customers' problems changed overnight. Um, and suddenly we were all trying to solve those just to respond and stabilise and continue to build those connections and, and do that, you know, in a completely new way. And so the additional, um, the initial thing was quite tough. I just found myself sort of almost rolling out of bed, straight into meetings, back to back all day, um, and then just finishing up. And I felt like I, after about a, I don't know, a month, I was like more exhausted than ever. I thought, I've got to redefine how I work in this new world because it's not going to be good for me otherwise. So I shifted my, my world to start off most days with a 6K light job. 
blog, which I've now sort of, I'm probably more healthy, physically healthy now than I've been in years, which is great. I shifted some of my meetings to be walking meetings. So even though we weren't walking together, one of my team might be somewhere else in the country having a, a walk at the same time and we would walk and talk. I shifted to give myself some 15 minute breaks. I just felt talking nonstop into to Zooms and Google and Teams was just, you know, creating a, you know, lack of thinking and, you know, renewal. So I created a bit of space for myself. So those things have all been really good, um, new healthy sort of practices. But I think as I look forward, you know, I think the world of work is, is changing for all of us. And, you know, I read more and more articles where people are saying they actually don't want to go back. No, nobody asked for a global pandemic, and I know it has cost lives and livelihoods. That is not good. However, we have some choices to make. We can be deliberate about what we build back to. You can go back to how everything was, but why not make it better? Why go back to something we knew still had gaps where it wasn't always inclusive or it was damaging the planet or we weren't thinking about all our stakeholders we have the opportunity to be really deliberate right now. We can build sustainability. If people are traveling less into the offices, that, that's great. We can have less, you know, emissions, you know, more, you know, more people working from home, but, you know, better ability for our planet to breathe. We can meet talent where they want to live, let people live in different cities, not just Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane and do jobs from anywhere. We've shown that we can do things remotely. And in doing that, we can open our mind to a more diverse candidate pool. I know I've spoken to people before who have, you know, strong caring responsibilities. So the thought of doing some jobs, they think they have to travel a lot. They opt out. Well, actually, you maybe we don't have to do that anymore. And, and jobs can become more open to a broader candidate pool and we can have diversity flourish, you know, even more. We can redesign our commercial real estate to drive you know, why do you come back into the office? It's for collaboration, deep problem solving, culture and, and behavior building. But let's think about the future of the commercial office to support that and how that changes. So I think there's a real opportunity with the right level of thought and focus and deliberateness to, to build back much stronger. Thanks for listening to that episode with Pip. And I really hope you enjoyed the podcast. This episode was produced by our amazing producer, Lisa Gebelagin. And if you've enjoyed the episode, please don't forget to subscribe and leave us a rating. If you want more from Women's Agenda, and I hope you do, visit womensagenda.com.au. See you next week. Women's Agenda is proud to partner with Salesforce on this podcast series. As the world's leading CRM, Salesforce continues to be a different kind of Fortune 500 company, one that cares and gives back to the community, yet innovates like a startup. Equality is a core value at Salesforce and as a business, believes that its higher purpose is to drive equality for all. For more, visit salesforce.com.